The Beard returns to H-Town. The Nets close out the first half of the season in Houston as James Harden takes on his former team. We'll talk about his return, a scary hours all-star weekend ahead, and great how the Nets did in the first half. We're also joined by New Jersey Nets great first overall pick out of Syracuse in 1990. It's Derek Coleman. All that plus Kerry's Corner is next on Full Court on Flatbush from the New York Post. The next stop is Barclays Center. Full Court on Flatbush. Flatbush Avenue. It's the podcast. A New York Post. BK. Most stars in the sky. The three. Welcome to Full Court on Flatbush. I'm your host, Robert Lundberg, alongside my co-host, former net number 30, Carrie Kittles. Subscribe to the show wherever you get podcasts, but if you're using Apple, give us a five-star rating. Write a nice review on Apple Podcasts. New episodes drop every Wednesday afternoon. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Robin Lundberg, and he's at Kerry underscore Kittles 30. Big tweet from Kerry last week. We're excited to be joined later in the show by a New Jersey Nets great from the early 90s, a number one pick out of Syracuse, Derek Coleman. But first, Kerry, I want to congratulate you on something. Yeah, what's that? Well, you know, your, your name keeps popping up on graphics when, I, when I'm watching the Nets, right? You know, Joe Harris passed you in, in three-pointers. And then the other night, the Nets did something they don't do very often. They beat the San Antonio Spurs. Mm-hmm. The last regular season win the Nets had had against San Antonio in San Antonio, the starting lineup was Kenyon Martin, Keith Van Horn, Todd McCullough, Jason Kidd, and one Kerry Kittles. So, you know, congratulations on continuing to, to get love for your your – place in Nets lore. I'll tell you what, that was a tough place to win games. I remember vividly playing with the Nets and San Antonio was a place we n- never won at and then also at Utah. So whenever you won in those places, it was it was always something big. So that's cool that they won over there. It was nice to watch Harden uh, do what he did the other night. Yeah, the, the starting lineup the other night was Bruce Brown, Joe Harris, DeAndre Jordan, Kyrie Irving, James Harden. Who wins between those two teams? The, the Nets team that one in, in 2002 or the, the Nets team that won the other night? How are they going to referee the game? <laughs> you say you got to – It's all about how they're going to let me play. If it's a little more physical, we win. If it's like today's style, they probably win. You know, how would you feel about guarding James Harden? Iso ball like that? I think – well, look, you, you can't guard him really in today's game. I mean, because as soon as he starts to go downhill and you try to be aggressive defensively, take away some of his space, maybe cut off some angles – he starts to be aggressive and driving into you and draw a foul. So it's like you're kind of tentative. So, I mean, you're kind of left out there. You see guys are afraid to contest his shots. Just to even jump in the air and put your hand up is going to be a foul. So it's no one no one wants to guard James Harden. Trust me. It's a, it's a nightmare, bro. It's a nightmare. You know, I'm about to start getting obnoxious, I think, because I found myself the other night when they did blow that game against San Antonio before they won it in overtime, like not really caring that they gave it away. I was like, so what? This team's going to be so awesome. You don't even have to really worry about like the ins and outs of a regular season game. I am starting to feel like that aura of possible dominance coming from them. 
Yeah, and as I said before, I, I think when you have three stars, you can see that where Durant's been out now since, I don't know, early, mid-February, and they're still winning like a eight out of nine game win streak. So when you have three stars, it takes off the pressure. Now they are all have reached their comfort zone. They're all comfortable now, like all of them. And so you see what James Harden is doing, and, and Kyrie is just playing fancy free. So we need to get used to it. I mean, this is what we're going to see throughout the rest of the regular season. And then when Durant comes back, it's going to be even <laughs> more deadly. I mean, you talk about scary hours. Man, this is really fun to be a Nets fan. Right, yeah, I mean, we've talked about Claxton and, and his switchability and what he could bring to the team as a big. And, you know, you've mentioned how James Harden spoon feeds these guys. We, we showed our, our love to, to Bruce Brown, who, you know, is going to make KD earn those minutes in the rotation <laughs> when he gets back the way he's playing and, and finishing in the paint. Joe Harris said he wants to be the, the best role player in, in the NBA. I mean, it's crazy. Like, I almost laughed. The, the biggest obstacle for the Nets to overcome is, is working Kevin freaking Durant back into the rotation. But with, with James Harden, obviously he's the story going back to, to Houston and, and, and how he'll be received. The turn for him and how he's been covered is interesting to me because you thought when he, when he went to Brooklyn, it would be a heel turn, you know, but instead it's almost been a face turn for, for him because people are starting to appreciate what he's done and how he's played for the Nets and, and working his way into the MVP conversation. I say he's been the best player in basketball since he, he got to Brooklyn. But, you know, from the Houston fan base perspective, how, how would you feel if you were a Rockets fan? Because the emotion is, I hate this guy. I hate the way he left. And, and I don't think anybody is happy with the way he left. I haven't heard one person in support of the way he left Houston. At the same time, that organization never missed the playoffs when he was there. The only team in the NBA that was true for when you talk about the all-time great Houston Rockets, to me, it's Akeem Olajuwon and it's James Harden. That team got closer to beating the Kevin Durant Warriors with, with KD, Steph, you know, Clay, and Draymond than any other team. How do you think that the Rockets fans should should view Harden? Yes, I, I think you're right. I think you're going to hear some fans that are going to be disappointed with how he left and the and the sour taste. Whenever you have a player tell the franchise, you know, I don't want to be here anymore. Fans just have a hard time getting over that, no matter what they did or what they accomplished before they make that statement. Once you say that, you kind of lose the fan base and, and all the efforts that he did both on and off the court. We're talking about a guy who was very active and engaged with the local community in Houston. He was engaged after the last winter storm they had there that devastated the, the area. And so, but I, I think the fans definitely going to have mixed reactions toward his return. Um, and, and wow, like what a transformation in how he's been playing with the Nets and, you know, less offensive iso ball between the legs, one-on-one, taking 25, 28 shots a game or whatever to now just really playing exceptional team basketball, like you said, in the in the conversation. So being a real MVP candidate. And um, I mean, I'm just so happy that he's here with the, with the Nets. You think it's that much? Because I get Rockets fans go at me and say, like, he was always this good. And I, I'm thinking to myself, well, no, I, I watched him in, in Houston, too. It's it's more aesthetically pleasing what, what he's doing in Brooklyn. Yeah, I think, listen, you, you given the ball in both situations, he didn't trust the, his teammates in Houston for quite some time. And although they still made the playoffs because they were just so talented offensively, you give him credit and D'Antoni for scoring and scoring and scoring, allowed them to make the playoffs. But the uh, just not, you know, and he, listen, he had Chris Paul a couple years yet. 
you know, some decent players around him. I think what you're seeing now is just the true element of what he's able to do. And, um, guys, I love watching him play. We have to find out, guys, will James Harden be the first player to have his jersey retired in an arena and in a strip club? We have to get our crack <laughs> research staff, Sarah McCrory, to find out if, if, if that's possible. But two places, yeah. I can't speak on that, so Sarah, that's that's all on you. You, you didn't venture into strip clubs too often, Carrie. Do they do they um slide the jersey up the pole? Uh, is, is that how it would I mean, like, because you think of it in the rafters at the arena, but is it is it hanging from a pole? Uh, I I could. Tell I've you. heard he's dropped like a million in a night at a strip club in H Town. So that's the one place that is very sad that he left for sure because you know they were doing well, COVID, non COVID, they were doing well when he was in town. But, but you know, I, I always said you support the local economy, and that was a good thing when the, when when the trade came down, right? Like, but uh, we haven't heard those stories with, with Brooklyn. Is that COVID? Yeah, well, everything. I mean, you could barely go inside and eat inside in New York. It's just, you know, Texas. They're burning jerseys and masks there. I mean, they, all the, everything's gone in Texas right now. Well, now and now in Texas, everything is open now. So, yeah, hundred uh, percent capacity know. everywhere. There you go. Everything is open, just like James Harden. Every time he touches the basketball, right now. I mean, like that's the the, the you know the hilarious thing about it. Uh, how how do you think it'll wind up being remembered? Because we're looking at it with his his Houston tenure in mind and going back. But do you think what you've seen thus far, Kerry? Could he actually be known as a Brooklyn Net when he's done? I joked Brooklyn Nets legend James Harden returns to Houston on Twitter the other day. But do you think he could wind up being defined more as a Net than a Rocket eventually? I think it'll be both. I think at the end of the day, because he's traded right in his prime, I think he has definitely another five, four or five years of real excellent basketball and real you know, output like where you're putting up big numbers like he's doing now. For four or five years, you do that in any franchise – you're going to be regarded as one of the franchise all-time best players. And obviously what he did in Houston is remarkable, right? Like he's in that Akeem, Yao Ming, Tracy McGrady conversation of, of all-time Rockets, even though he didn't win a championship there. So this is, a, this is an exceptional player. I mean, this is probably in the context of being one of the best all-time scorers the league has ever seen. And you put him in that Jordan, Kobe, Abdul-Jabbar conversation, the guys. He's unguardable. And now you're seeing triple-double. I mean, his numbers this year are ridiculous. I don't know. He's he's an exceptional player. I didn't think he was this good. I, I knew he was talented, but, I mean, what we're seeing now is just how do you go to another franchise that have two superstar players and then now you emerge as probably the best player on that team? That does stand out, right? Because, like, you, I, I asked you last week about him versus KD. He and Kyrie have become a thing as a backcourt without Katie involved. And you thought of him as like this luxury or an insurance policy, but he feels like the franchise right now. Can you imagine, could you imagine somebody right now going to go play with the Lakers with, with LeBron and with AD and, and then after a month of them playing together saying, Oh wow, this guy may be better than those two guys. I mean, that, <laughs> That's what it's like. You're talking about two of the top six, seven players in the whole league. And then you insert Harden, and now he's just like, I don't know, KD, Harden, I mean, who would, you, who would you choose? I don't know. I mean, he's he's just that good. And to have the coaching staff embrace what he's able to do in his skill set and say, here, dude, look, we're giving you the ball. You're, you're our guy. We're going to go as, as far as you take us. And, and he's just embraced that role. And you, you obviously hope KD comes back fully healthy. Uh, you know, he'll still be making the picks for the All-Star game. Kyrie and, and Harden will be on the floor for the all-star game. They may be the, the best show in the all-star game. Cause one thing Harden has also done is put Kyrie in what feels like a natural position for him, right? Like when you say shooting guard, well, it fits because that's what, you know, he's born to get buckets. 
Kyrie said, just get used to it. This is, this is what it is now, right? And so he is totally free from those responsibilities of being a playmaker, being a distributor. I'm just going to focus on getting buckets, going to my bag every possession. Harden is like, okay, go ahead. You score 30. Katie, when you come back, you score 35. I'll settle for 20, 22. That's fine for me. And, and, and we'll just win games and go to the finals. You gave me an idea. Because, I mean, I've seen the Nets world order out there. You know, you've seen scary world or scary hours out there. But what about get used to it? Jake, can we get on some merchandise? I mean, I think that's, could... a, that's a Drake song. So I don't know. That that might already be taken, I believe. Uh, <laughs> it, what, what Drake song? That, I, Drake song, Get Used To It? I think it's called Get Used To It. We have to uh, get our crack I, I, research I'm a hip hop, it, but... I'm a hip-hop head. Is it on? Oh, no, it's used to. Is on if you're reading, it's too late. I don't think there's a get used to it. Oh, okay. Well, there's there's Roger Vadouris has get used to it in 1979 back in Kerry's Who, who the hell is Roger Vadouris? <laughs> We'll have to listen to that later. The copyrights don't allow us to play it on the show. It's all about that beard. Wait, could you imagine though if the Nets didn't trade for him? Like that's that was a bold that was a bold move. Right? We were we were dis- discussing that, and we were kind of like ah, on the fence, giving up some, some young assets. But I mean, wow! But we were all idiots. We were all idiots. First, you know that. Uh, That's why they pay Sean Marks the big bucks. <laughs> yeah, everybody was saying, "Oh, well, the Miami Heat shouldn't trade Tyler Hero for James Harden. You're nuts." Or the Boston Celtics shouldn't try and, and trade for James Harden. You're nuts. Or me, or any other Nets fan who at any point said, "You know, I don't know. I like the way this team looks. Maybe don't trade." Nuts. The fact that the Nets traded for James Harden is the best move the franchise will ever make. You don't <laughs> make. do that without D'Antoni convincing the organization that, trust me, the ISO ball that everyone's been used to seeing the last three or four years, that's not who he really is. He's more than just ISO Harden. And and he was right. You know, a big We're lesson saying. learned, trust someone with a British or Australian accent over us. And, you know, Sean Marks. <laughs> Very trustworthy uh, speaking style from, from Sean Marks. I mean, I think Nick Claxton, by the way, could turn out better than any of the draft picks that the, the Nets traded away. And who who knew what Bruce Brown would become? So when it comes to get used to it, I could get used to this. And I already am getting used to the Brooklyn Nets being a powerhouse in the NBA. They open up the second half uh, against the Celtics next Thursday, the first game with 1,800 fans at Barclays. It's a big upgrade from 300. Then they've got the Pistons on Saturday and the New York Knickerbockers. On Monday, that is what we've got for you to get used to here on Full Court Flatbush. But you always have to get used to us going back to the old era of the Nets. We'll do that with Derek Coleman coming up. But before that, we're going to go into Kerry's Corner. You know, Kerry, I mentioned before, Joe Harris said he wants to be the best role player in the NBA. Obviously, you know, you were a really good player playing off of, of Jason Kidd, Kenyon Martin in those days. What what does it take to get to that level that he's speaking of, being the, the best role player in the NBA? The best role player? I, I think he's embraced that role, right? So he's embraced feeding off of those superstars. He's embraced doing what he does best, his his specialty, which is, right, he's the the Right now in the NBA, he's the biggest sniper, the most deadliest sniper from behind the arc that's out there. You can't leave him. He's embraced that role. So for him, it's just finding those spots off the ball. It's being in the right pitch at the right time, being ready to shoot and relieving the pressure off those superstars. And he's really excelling, and it's fun to watch him do that. Kerry, what happened at the end of your Nets career? Why didn't you come back? Was it the Nets didn't want to bring you back? 
Was it injuries? Are you mad at them? Because I think Nets fans would have loved to see you, you know, for another season and maybe play with Vince Carter. You know what? I, I think that's what happens throughout the NBA when you look at it. I think, you know, we had three years to try to get it done, you know, and I think, you know, we had two NBA finals and then the last year we lost to the Pistons in the, in the conference finals. So I think after that, especially looking at the, it was the last year of my deal, that's the year where you have tradable assets to get rid of. And so it's fine. I mean, it's, it's just part of the business. There was no hard feelings. I was talking to Rod Thorne about it throughout the process, and I understood heading into that offseason that that was a pr- pretty good chance that I would get traded. So they didn't give you an offer? They didn't, they didn't say, hey, we want you back? They said, that's it? No, they just said, hey, listen, we're going to explore all of our options. It's a chance that something may happen. You know, we'll keep, we'll keep you informed. And, and Rod stuck true to his words. Like, you know, when that time came, he gave me a call and he told me, I can't remember which other teams were interested, but he presented those other options. And then I said, okay, listen, the Clippers is a pretty good option for me. I, you know, if that deal works out, I'll take that deal. So I mentioned at the top of the show the graphic they showed on TV the last time the Nets had won in, in San Antonio. Just give me your, your first response when I mentioned these names for you, the other guys in the starting lineup. Kenya Martin. Savage. Savage. Keith Van Horn. Super skilled big. Todd McCullough. Underrated center. And Jason Kidd. Uh, just was outstanding, exceptional. Jason Kidd was... <laughs> I'm telling you, Jason Kidd was basically like James Harden, you know, without the, you know, scoring ability of James Harden. I did everything else, everything else. You said underrated center. I think true Nets fans want to know something more about Todd McCullough, because if you read up on this guy, he's a pinball wizard. Like he plays these pinball machines, like go to Dave and Buster's and play pinball. Was he kind of quirky and weird as a player back then? Did you find him at Dave and Buster's? You're shaking your head. Yes. So uh, we got to know the inside about Todd McCullough. You're talking about Canadian guy, just like came out of nowhere, you know, very quirky. A lot of time in the game room, you know, it was traveling around. He would, he would go on, on auctions and buy these, these rare machines and put them into his house. So that was him. But as far as a player, he was definitely a, a unique player, great soft hands, probably had the softest touch for a big, you know, that I've seen besides Brooke Lopez up close. So just similar to how Brooke Lopez is, he's awkward too. He's always going down to Disney World. That was Tom McCullough. Yeah, who's a better point guard, relatively speaking, Jason Kidd uh, with you and those Nets teams, or or me on the show? <laughs> I, I'd probably go with J.K. He's in the Hall of Fame. He's, he's a Hall of Famer. You're on your way there. You're on your way there. You're you're young, aspiring uh, media guys. So I would say Jason Kidd's got you. All right, I, I can I can handle that. Rising star. That's how I'll spin yeah, it. Rising I'm, star. I'm a rising star. We'll talk to a former Net star coming up. We're joined now by a former number one pick, rookie of the year, and all-star with the New Jersey Nets, Derek Coleman. He's at 44thelegend on Twitter, at Derek Coleman for real on Instagram. And Derek, you know, it's funny when you talk about the Brooklyn Nets, there, there's obviously a lot of attention around this team now. I, I talk to Nets fans, and they're going around, you know, touting their OG status as fans. A, a couple of names will, will come up. Kenny Anderson, Drazen Petrovic, and of course, yourself, Derek Coleman. H- how do you feel, having been a part of the, the New Jersey Nets back then, seeing what this team is right now? Well, I just see the growth, you know, in the Nets being able to move. First of all, just the transition to Brooklyn, you know, has been phenomenal. Watching, you know, to leave Jersey and actually cross the bridge to go, you know, over into Brooklyn, just how the people there in Brooklyn have embraced, be able to have a team right there in, in Brooklyn, you know, and, and the people to come out and embrace 
everything that's going on right there from the culture to the design of the jerseys to the throwbacks. I mean, I, I think it's great. I, I love it. You know, I love the energy. I love what I see going on as far as, you know, team-wise. I can see us really getting opportunities to, you know, to play for the Eastern Conference Championship and see what happens from there. You mentioned the, the throwbacks there, Derek. And when you, you talk about the, that, recently that's been a thing this year with the team, right, the, the tie-dye jerseys and, and all that. I, I saw you, you were a big fan. How, how much do you like the fact that, you know, they're, they're now looking back on your era and, you know, the, the old Nets? Well, I think it's great. You know, to really, you know, have have that throwback, you know, jersey. We only wore that one year, my my rookie season, and at, at the time, you know, even we were suspect about it because, you know, like man, we're gonna be the laughing stock of the NBA. You know, <laughs> everybody was like, Yo, y'all got these throwback jerseys on, man. What are y'all trying to do? But it's really a fashion, you know, statement. It just as goes to show you how everything just goes full circle. I, I love it. I mean, when they first really did the floor, you know the with the throwback, and then everybody came out with those uniforms on. I mean, me and Kenny was on the phone, you know, laughing and talking about it. So it just brings back a whole bunch of memories and great times being there, you know, in New Jersey. You know, D.C. was up this kiddos. I want to ask you about playing back in the swamp. You know, I, I was fortunate to play back in the swamp a little bit after you, and we had some pretty good seasons. But what was your experience like playing in the swamps, in the shadows of the Knicks? Because back then the Knicks were relevant, and now they're not quite as relevant. <laughs> But what was it like for you playing playing back there in front of that fan base? And how do you see a different differing now in Brooklyn where it's a more vibrant kind of energy in that arena? Yeah. Well, you know, they always talked about for one kid one, let me just say this, Kerry, you know, at one point in time we were gonna become the Swamp Dragons. Can you believe that? Yikes. Like that <laughs> like, yeah, that was gonna be the name of, of our uniforms and everything, the uh, the Swamp Dragons. But you know, they always talked about in Jersey creating the mass transit to bring people there to the Meadowlands. And myself and you, you know, we were fortunate to always be able to play in the Meadowlands by playing in the Big East. You know, so it wasn't nothing really new to me, you know, because I played there against Seton Hall all my four years of uh, college. We actually beat North Carolina to go to the final final four in the Meadowlands. So I was used to it. I really enjoyed it because of the people that, you know, were there. It was slow, you know, my, my, my first year there because we didn't win a lot of games. But, you know, the drafting of Kenny, the trade for Draz, and we were building. And, you know, when you started to become a threat and a winning team, more and more people started to come out and see what you guys were, were about. So I really enjoyed it. And like I said, just to see the transition now to, to Brooklyn and being in the borough and everybody really embracing everything that's that's going on. I mean, the transition has been great. I, I wonder what they're going to do in Jersey when they put another team, you know what I'm saying, there. But the transition for me, it was always great. I enjoyed my time, you know, being there. She, I met my wife there, you know, Gina. Gina worked for the Nets at the time that I, I met her in Jersey. So um, still have a lot of ties there. I mean, all my friends from college and everything in Syracuse, a lot of them was from Jersey, the New York area. So it gave me a chance to really – still be in that college atmosphere while I was still playing the game of basketball. Yeah, you, you mentioned uh, picking up Kenny Anderson in the draft and, and, and trading for, for Drazen. That's a pretty nice big three back in the day. You guys were really competitive trying to change the culture to, with the franchise. And now you look at the Nets with their big three. Do you see any similarities as far as having one big, you know, you consider you as a forward. You got Kevin Durant. He's, he's a forward. And then you have two guards, Harden and, and Kyrie. 
what do you think when you watch those guys play? Does it bring back memories? Uh, oh, oh, without without question, man. I just I see the excitement, you know, in in the game, you know, again, and like you said, the Nets have been out of it since you know you guys were were there with Jason Kidd and uh, and Kenyon Martin, you know. So we've had great runs. We just could never get past that threshold, you know, and playing and playing in New Jersey. But what I see what's going on there now. In Brooklyn and having the, the big three there, like I said, man, I see those guys actually coming out of, of the East. You know, two things off that, Derek. I want to talk about the past and the, the present. Back to the, the past for a second. Obviously, there was the, the tragedy around Drazen Petrovic. You, you just mentioned that big three. Do you ever think about what could have been? Oh, no, without without question. I mean, we were we were on our way. Like I said, the first year when I got there, we struggled. You know, but we drafted Kenny, and you got to thank guys. I don't know if you guys remember, Kenny didn't even play his uh his rookie year. Kenny only played in like we were losing games. You know what I'm saying? And, and then Bill Fitch would put put him in to let him you know play because he didn't believe in really playing you know rookies. But I'm sitting there like, well, okay, I played my old rookie year. What was wrong with Kenny? You know, not playing. But you know, he it was destined for greatness. You know, with him, and then with the trade, like I said, with Drazen. So we were actually up and coming. You know, we were looking forward to it. We were going to the playoffs, you know, every year. We were losing to Cleveland. It was so crazy. We would lose to Cleveland. Chicago would beat Cleveland, and Detroit would beat, you know, Chicago. But we were always looking forward to that, and we kept building. I think the last two years that, that we were there, like with, with Dryzen and myself and Kenny, like we led the league in, in rebounding, you know, because I had Chris Dully, I had Terry Mills, and Chris Moore. So we had a great team. You know, and with the tragedy that happened with Drives, I mean, that really set us set us back, man. We were on our way. And I can remember still coming out of uh, Hula Hands right there in the Meadowlands and Coach uh, Daly, rest his soul, called me and told me what had happened, man. And it just, it threw us back, you know, the passing of Drives. They didn't re-sign uh, Chuck Daly. You know, he wound up leaving, going to Orlando. And then uh, the next year they traded Kenny. So we, we, we went like, 50 steps backwards for modern fans who maybe aren't as familiar with, with Drazen. Can you uh, let them know a, a, about what he was about and what you think he, he might have become? Oh man. Take no prisoners. You know, Drazen, you got to understand. And, and Croatia Drazen was a guy. And, you know, when he first got in the NBA to play in Portland, just, Hey, what was he going to play? You had Clyde Drexler and Terry Porter and all those guys. So the trade really, show people what type of player Dryzen was and he went out to prove it, you know, every night. He loved the challenge. He didn't care who it was, you know, he was gonna go back at them. He he'd be talking trash, you know, the whole time. And that's what we embraced. You know, we embraced guys with a chip on their shoulder and he felt like he had something to prove. One of the best shooters that I've seen in my lifetime. I mean, when you look at a guy like Ray Allen, Reggie Miller, you know, I mean you see a guy like Steph Curry, you know, right now, but Dryzen's was, was one of those guys, you know, he can really fill it up on either in the court, but I, I love his competitive nature that he was going to accept the challenge every night. And, and real quick, back to the present, you and Kerry both alluded to it, uh, how it, it's been a, a Knicks town historically. You played at the Meadowlands for the New Jersey Nets. Obviously you played up in, in Syracuse. You've been around the surrounding area for a, a long time. Where do you think this Brooklyn Nets team is going to fit in? It's the biggest national story there is. How do you think they're going to make their imprint on New York specifically? By winning. <laughs> I mean, that is the bottom line, to make your imprint. 
on you know on New York because you know, they have such a tradition there is every time that they play them, beat them. That's the only way you're going to make your imprint. And then, you know, go in the playoffs and, and really try to get as far as you can, you know, in the playoffs. Just really start changing the culture there. You're not going to ever change, you know, New York Knicks fans. Not all of them. They are what they are, you know, because of the tradition that's that's been there. But I can see us really, you know, every opportunity that we get to really, you know, beat them in the garden, beat them in Brooklyn you know, and get into the playoffs and, and play well, you know, at least get to the finals so can we get to the championship, you know, at least to get to the Eastern Conference Finals. That's the only way you're going to change that culture, that landscape. But what they're doing there in Brooklyn now is, is really amazing because more than anything, see, you're including the people and everything that's going on in Brooklyn. You know, you're really out in the communities, and that stuff is huge when you're trying to change the culture of a basketball or any sports franchise. Derek, it's Jake here. Kerry came in a couple of years after you left the Nets. He was talking before we started and said, you know, when, when he attacked the rack, you would usually foul him. What, what were your memories playing Kerry Kittles? Well, you know, you know, I've hated Kerry since college. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that, that's that Big East thing, you know what I'm saying? So I've always looked forward to playing against guys that I played against or saw play, you know, in the Big East. So, yeah. Kerry, you know, out there always, he, he's a quiet killer. He don't talk a lot of trash. But, you know, when you drive the ball to the basket, it's my job to put you on your ass, you know. <laughs> and that's why I see where the game has changed so much now. Anytime a guy drives to the basket, you know, and get a clear layup, I'm like, man, nobody's taking a hard foul or anything. But it's, it's not to intentionally hurt anybody. It's just to let you know that, hey, man, you come in here, this is what you're going to get. That's funny you said that, Derek. I was going to ask you that question about today's game and, and the more modern NBA, how it's trending to a, a, a more dominant, right, perimeter-oriented league. Oh, man. Across it's, the it's, board. It's, and, it you know, went from being more inside to outside, and now it is strictly yeah. outside. What's your thoughts on that? Well, you know what, Kerry? For me, the, the game doesn't change. The players do. And I think the NBA has taken the physicalness you know, away from the game of bad basketball really is a physical sport, you know, and like, we're not really out there intentionally trying to hurt anybody, but yeah, we grew up playing like that in the playgrounds. Like if we drive to the basket, somebody's going to give us a hard foul. But when you take away the physicalness of, of the game and you turn it into a perimeter game, you know, we're taught to run for layups and dunk. Now when I watch basketball, everybody's running, but they run into the three-point line. And you know what? None of you guys are three-point shooters. It's not even – it's entertainment now. It's not even basketball anymore. Like, I don't spend a lot of time watching it because I can't. Like, it's not even a turn-on to me. Like, I don't go to a lot of the, the games here, you know, with the Pistons. Every now and then, you know, I'll go because when I'm watching it, it just, it's just not basketball to me. Not what I grew up, not what I was taught. And what I'm seeing, like I said, is really a, a perimeter, you know, game. You know, everybody wants to come in and, and shoot, you know, jump shots. It's kind of one year we came out there and we toured the, the Brooklyn, you know, facility. And uh, we went into the analytics guy's office. And they're sitting there trying to tell me that the best, when was the best time to go rebound analytically? I say, well, the best time to go rebound, bro, is when the shot is taken, is put up on the defensive end or the offensive end. That's so you true. sitting there trying to show me a stat that's going to tell me when me, hey, man, I led the NCAA in rebounding. What are you talking about? <laughs> you know, so that all that stuff bothers me, you know, with the, with the game of basketball. It's just like 
spread offenses, pick and roll. You know that that that's not basketball. You know it just it really turns me off. Isn't it in a way harder to stop? I mean, because we do see guys like uh, let's take the Nets for example. We get Kyrie, you get Harden, and you let them operate in space. I mean, I know it's not traditionally how how it was played at times, but in, in its own way, couldn't it be harder to stop? And isn't it you know you don't need analytics to uh, to assess their step backs and their crossovers, right? Well, well, no. The thing is that even we played in space, you know, and uh, pick and rolls and things like that is really what the defense is going to do to make adjustments to the to the game or what play that you're you're running. So adjusting and playing basketball that's part of the game. But I'm saying is that you know when you can't really physically put your hand on who, who's going to stop Kyrie Irving from getting to the back if I can't physically touch him at all. You can't. You're not going to stop him. You're not going to stop Kevin Durant. You're not going to stop James Hart. Because I can't physically put my hand I can't even really body them up. Anything they do when they're facing the basket, it's a foul. Look at the look at East Coast. If you even go back and research it, East Coast basketball has always been a grind, fellas. You know, we never had 100-point games. West Coast basketball is all because they just constantly up and down, 125, you know, 110, 115. You know, on the West Coast, East Coast, aka 85. You know what I'm saying? Maybe 95 every now and then. Even back then, our motto with playing the Knicks, we always looked at it with with, with coach was, "Hey, if we score 80, 85 points, we're going to win the game of basketball against New York because New York is a defensive team and they're not going to score a lot a lot of points. They're not going. They're the highest point margin is probably 75 points a game, but they're going to play great defense. So we looked at really scoring. 75, 85 points, we knew that we were going to win the game. And when you look at it now, when I look at it, bro, I'm watching, you know, the, the, the games. Even the Pistons here, 115, 125. Man, ain't never scored that many points. Hey, overtime? Yeah. But in a regular game? No. No, uh-uh. But you've taken the physicalness away from the game and you made it entertainment. Yeah, you, you breathe too hard on a guy these days, especially during, co- co- during during COVID times. You breathe too hard on a guy. It's even, I mean, taking right. you know, wear, wear a mask uh, driving to the rack these days. But, uh, you know, Sports Illustrated said you could have been the best power forward ever and injuries took a toll. Do you think if you stayed healthy throughout your career, you could have been the best power forward ever? Oh, I mean, with, with, without question, you know, my, my skill set, is what you see right now. And they talk about Kevin Durant being this, the the stretch four. I said, man, I was doing that 25 years ago. <laughs> you know, like real talk. Like I just wasn't selling for the jump. Why would I settle to shoot a jump shot when I got a guy half my size trying to check me? I know that I'm quicker than him. I'm going to take you to the block. That's just understanding basketball. I'm going to go to the block and, okay, here comes the double team. I'm going to get a shot, you know what I'm saying, for my teammate. And one thing with me, I never cared about scoring. You can go back to my high school coach, Coach Bayhan. I never let Syracuse in score my whole four years being there, but I was the number one scorer on our on our team, you know, in the record. I never cared about scoring. I cared about, hey, man, we're going to go out here and get this win, whatever it takes to get it done. Now, if the game was on the line and we struggled, okay, yeah, bring it here. You know, let me let me go to work. But uh, injuries are always, guys, is a part of, uh, of the game, you know, and we just have to play the cards that we're dealt. Hey, Derek, I want to go through a little rapid fire with you real quick. Uh, a couple of questions. And just the first thing that comes to mind, I want to see what your answers are. How do you respond to this? OK, who is D.C.'s hero? <laughs> My basketball or otherwise? Uh, just life. Who's your life hero? Life? Oh, my grandmother. Everything that I am today is from my grandmother. Awesome. Uh, biggest college rival? Uh, Georgetown. Mm. Beheim or Chuck Daly? 
both. <laughs> Kenny Anderson <laughs> or Raj Strickland, New York City point guards. Kenny Ooh, Anderson or Raj? Both. I love them both, but I played with Kenny, so I'm going to take Kenny. Ah, uh, figure that, figure that. All right, good. Best European, Petrovic or Novitski? Uh, Drazen. Drazen, okay. Uh, this yeah. year's MVP, this year's MVP, Embiid or James Harden? Uh, LeBron. <laughs> I didn't think you would go there, but okay. Okay, and you mentioned that earlier about power forwards. Carl Malone or Tim Duncan? Uh, Tim Duncan. I thought he was going to say Derek Coleman. I thought he was going to throw throw us a curveball there and give well, us a third one. Uh, well, <laughs> I, I mean, it is what it, what it is, man. You know, go go back and look at, look at that. See, again, for me, you're talking about Carl. I love Carl Malone, right? What does Carl Malone? Carl Malone is known for scoring. Carl Malone is a jump shot on the baseline or a running hook across the middle. Tim Duncan has a skill set. Tim Duncan can post. He's going to give you the mid-range. Mid he can pass the basketball as well. And I, we, we call him the big fundamental, you know, because he's just fundamentally sound, you know. And, and I mean, I love Carl because she, if I had a guy like John Stockton, I knew I was going to get the ball out of Hall ass too. <laughs> okay, I got a couple more for you. Uh, center, Shaquille O'Neal, uh, Hakeem Olajuwon, Patrick Ewing, or David Robinson. Which one you like? You left out the GOAT, Kareem. Yeah, I'm just kind of kind of going guys more your era though. But okay, man, I, I played against Kareem. Yeah, well. Kareem, best teammate you ever played with? Oh wow, Billy Owens. Oh, that's my idol. That's why I won number thirty. And uh, what are you most proud of? What am I most proud? Of? Oh, my kids, my family. Derek Coleman, you know, uh, old school at heart. Even though you you would have excelled in the new school game, as you said, DC. <laughs> <laughs> and, and oh, you, oh, hey, hey, oh, for hey, sure. This new school, this new school, I average thirty five forty. So wait, 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 uh, well, real quick. How does that then not make it a more effective style of basketball if you're getting more production? Well, the thing is. It's just, I just see this easier opportunity. You know, when I'm watching the game, I'm like, oh, come on, man. Ain't no double teams. Ain't, ain't, ain't None of that's happening out there. You know, we play ball. We, we They had a zone defense. I got tired of the zone in Syracuse. Y'all going to put it in in the NBA? No, no, I was just curious because that's the way I would look at it is if the uh, it is harder to stop and there is more, you know, scoring and these guys are put into more space, that's maximizing the talent on the court. They are, but you still take the physical. If, if the game was physical, you wouldn't see as much scoring. Yes, true. That is true. You wouldn't see that. And then for me, it still goes, it boils down, fellas, to the defensive end of the floor. Who's really getting down and, and really checking somebody? You know, you don't see anybody picking anybody up 94 feet, you know, and really putting pressure, you know what I'm saying, on them. What, what we do, we score, and then – we walk the ball up the floor and get into the offense. Or we get in a defensive rebound, we're trying to get out on, on the break. You know, you don't see anybody there really, okay, as soon as we score, we're up. We're playing defense. So the defensive concept of the game is still, they even that is irrelevant now. Derek Coleman versus Kerry Kittles later this year on the floor. I mean, I, I know, <laughs> DC, I know you got seven years on Kerry, but I yeah. think you guys could uh, go at it later this year before a well, next well, game. Well, well, what are we going to do, spot shooting? <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, it's easier to pick Kurt Carey up 94 feet than it is James Harden or Kyrie Irving. That's all I'm saying. Well, uh, well, <laughs> hey, man. Hey, I don't think in our air ain't nobody picking Kyrie Irving up. <laughs> no way. No man, way. That, hey, man. Well, it's God, Daddy Rod Strickland, so that says it all right there. He, he come from good stock, man. You know, yes, and, his, and his dad wasn't no slouch either. No, Kyrie is a real thoroughbred. <laughs> Thank you, man.
Thank you. Yes, he is. All right, well, we're going to arrange this one-on-one. Robin, we need to uh, get this on video. DC versus Kerry. New, new and old school, Matt <laughs> Sister. Yeah, we, we could work it into the, you know, we had the whole thing. I, people were asking me for your Venmo, Kerry, for the Nets tickets. Maybe we figure out a way to uh, <laughs> to, to raise money, and then it can go to Nets fans to, to get them into the Barclays Center. Of course, both of you guys are huge in the hearts of Nets fans. Derek Coleman, of course, the number one pick in the 1990. NBA draft out of Syracuse, NBA Rookie of the Year, all-star with the Nets. He's at 44thelegend on Twitter, at Derek Coleman for real on Instagram. Derek, we really appreciate your time today. I appreciate it, guys. Anytime, man. Look forward to, a, you know, hopefully this COVID stuff clear up and really get out and catch a couple games with you guys, man, just so we can sit and do what we do right now, talk about the game of basketball. The next stop is Barclays Center. That seals episode 11, the Kyrie Irving edition of Full Court on Flatbush, our Brooklyn Nets podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Jake Brown and Sarah McCrory for producing the show. Subscribe to Full Court on Flatbush on Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating. Write a nice review there. We appreciate your support all season long. For Kerry Kittles, I'm Robin Lundberg. We return to your airwaves next Wednesday. Stay safe, stay warm, stay healthy. And thanks for listening to Full Court on Flatbush. Let's go next. <laughs>